When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you think of someone going off-grid, living in a house that's entirely self-sufficient, with no connection to the utility companies most of us count on to power all our stuff, you maybe picture some sort of doomsday prepper in a Unabomber shed out there in the wilderness. But Ivan Penn says that's not the reality. Sure, there are those who are, uh, you know, living in the tiny homes, rustic cabins, But what really surprised me was there are people in just really modern middle-class homes, and in some cases, um, very large estates, some with hot tubs and swimming pools, uh, and they were operating entirely without any connection to the electric grid. Ivan is the renewable energy correspondent for The New York Times, and he recently reported on people who'd chosen to go off-grid, setting up solar panels and battery systems so they can disconnect their homes from the utility company's power lines. What he found was that they weren't necessarily tree-hugging hippies, but they weren't necessarily survival preparedness types who are obsessed with self-reliance either. These were your typical, everyday people from all walks of life. In most cases, the emotions driving people's decisions to go off-grid are more familiar than you might expect. People always have this love-hate relationship <laughs> with the utility companies. We want we want to make sure that the lights stay on, but we get upset, one, when we get the bill, and two, when the power goes out. You know, the idea of being able to have your own energy independence, I, mean, I think that, that that is a compelling thing for all of us. One off-gridder who Ivan interviewed, a tech executive in California, boasted about the reliability of the massive, high-capacity solar panel system he installed on his property. He said, look, I never lose power, not even for a, quote, nanosecond, whereas in the last year that he's lived in this, this new home, his neighbors have lost power as many as three times. But then this tech exec said something else. Something that was less about being safe from power outages or saving money on electrical bills and was more about using electricity however you damn well please. He said, hey, look, my dad, uh, you know, growing up would say, you know, turn off the lights, um, you know, make sure that we're not burning too much electricity. He said, for me, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I I can burn as much. I can keep the lights on. I can keep the air on. Uh, he's, He's generating so much power that he started mining Bitcoin. Today on the show, going off-grid can seem appealing in lots of ways. But are there downsides if everyone unplugs from the system? Are there consequences we haven't considered? I'm Seth Stevenson, in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stay with us.
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I confess, I sometimes have a daydream about buying a very cheap piece of property in the middle of nowhere and building a little shack that's completely off the electrical grid, in case I want to flee there with my family when the zombies come and the apocalypse begins. So I asked Ivan Penn if I actually wanted to go off-grid, just the solar panels and the batteries, not the land in the house. How much would that set me back? Yeah, on the low end, you know, thirty-five or 50000 and according to contractors who are focusing on off-grid systems, typically up to about $100,000. I think a lot of people have a sense that there are tax incentives for putting solar panels on your roof or government subsidies that are going to help you pay for it. Can you get help with the cost of installing an off-grid system? Yeah, and that's actually one of the really big things that kind of makes a difference today. Um, You know, there is the federal tax incentive. It used to be 30%. It's step down to uh, now to about the mid-20s. Uh, eventually, that's going to, to go away unless Congress uh, uh, re-ups it. Have there been improvements in the technology lately that have made it more feasible to have your own little self-contained energy infrastructure? So in the past, what you saw were people who would use technologies like lead-acid batteries and they would couple those with some kind of backup generator. The lead acid batteries, they, they, they weigh a lot. <laughs> so um, uh, in one case, uh, it was a homeowner I spoke to. He, he has 12,000 pounds of lead acid batteries. So the technologies have really changed from lead acid batteries that weigh a lot to lithium ion batteries that you can hang on your wall. Uh, you know, that's a huge, dramatic shift. And of course, solar panels continue to become more and more efficient and the costs continue to drop. We've seen the cost drop from about $11.40 a watt to less than $4 a watt. You've seen such a huge, dramatic drop in the cost and the increase in efficiency that these are the, some of the, the really uh, huge drivers. Do you have a sense of how many people in the United States are already off-grid or, or how much the off-grid trend has been accelerating? Um, no one particularly knows exactly <laughs> how many people are off-grid. Um, it, you know, obviously, it becomes difficult to track because they're off the grid. We spoke to some folks at an organization called Primal Survivor. It's a disaster preparedness site. And what they ran into was a huge uptick and requests for information about going off-grid. One clear reason for all those messages to primalsurvivor.net? Just turn on the news. California's largest utility is warning tonight that it's going to cut off power to more than 800,000 customers to prevent its equipment from sparking wildfires. The National Weather Service... During wildfires in California in 2019, electric companies preemptively shut off power to more than 800,000 customers. 
imperiling people who depend on electrically powered devices like ventilators or dialysis machines. States, millions without electricity in Texas. No heat. Storms in Texas last year left millions more without electricity. Deaths from hypothermia resulted as people lost the power to heat their homes amid frigid temperatures. And if it feels like these blackouts are happening more often, you're right. Thanks to climate change, aging equipment, and other factors, our electric grids are less reliable than ever. But solar panels alone won't keep your lights on. You need a whole system, including batteries to store the power your panels collect. In these kinds of emergencies, when the electric grid goes down, if you only have solar panels, you're still going to be without power. And that was a surprise to many homeowners who lost power, whether it was because the utility company cut off the power to ensure that their equipment didn't spark a wildfire during a heavy windstorm or electrical rainstorm, or they wanted to make sure that the grid wasn't triggering a fire. But if you have a battery, you, you, you can still have power. So people started buying more batteries because of the wildfires. So people start seeing all of this and, they, and, and these become real drivers for them to say, you know what, um, I, I, I'm going to look at batteries, I'm going to look at solar, and this is where the potential of electric vehicles is not only a transportation source, but a, a battery source is really coming a, a, a into focus right now. Is that because it's a, is that a sort of a cheaper, um, lower footprint way to do it? It's the combination, especially for the cost. So if you're able to both get a a battery that can help power your home as well as a vehicle, you get it all in one package as opposed to, you know, having to buy the lithium ion battery uh, and install that in the garage. You have it all packaged in, in, in an EV. Is there an element of exacerbating inequality here where it's the people who can afford the big upfront costs of going off grid who then will benefit over the long term, whereas the people who maybe don't have the money right away can't afford to do it, and then year after year, they're sort of bleeding money by paying the power company? Realistically, obviously, most people are not going to defect from the grid, at least not anytime soon. So you've got to maintain the grid for any foreseeable future. As such, you know, who's going to pay for it? And with the federal goals that have been set, the president pushing for, uh, you know, 500,000 vehicle chargers, half the vehicles on the road, he wants to be electric by 2030. Those kinds of shifts in technology are going to require upgrades to the electric grid. And who pays for that but the consumers? of those who are on the grid. Conversely, the other side of the argument is that rooftop solar is a form of energy efficiency. Um, It takes load off the grid. It helps to reduce the need to build more big box power plants, more transmission lines, and then the excess electricity that a rooftop solar uh, homeowner has or business You know, those electrons flow like water. Um, They follow the path of least resistance. If a rooftop solar owner sends an electron to the grid, say from Los Angeles, that electron is not going to Las Vegas. That that electron is going to the neighborhood where that electron uh, has been produced. 
They, and, and so there's a benefit to, to a person's neighbor uh, for, for the person who built a power plant on their rooftop. And if you go off grid, you're no longer benefiting your neighbor that way, right? Well, not directly, um, but then um, you know there become the the related benefits of your neighbor has power. In the case of Hurricane Ida, you had a homeowner who who had solar and batteries and was able to provide charging for people's phones. And so, I mean, there's the energy version of can I borrow a cup of sugar? Um, <laughs> so you get that benefit uh, from your neighbor as well. I guess along with the upside of being self-sufficient, where if everyone else's power goes out, you still have yours. There's the downside where if your, if your power goes out, you can't just call the electric company. You're on your own. Is that, is that a big problem for people who've gone off grid? You are on your own. And, and uh, that's a significant consideration. But because a lot of these folks have, they have planned out what it is that they're doing, several of them have just said, you know, I never lose power. It's not a problem for me. They admit, you know, I'm a little, I was a little scared uh, at first, but the longer I've stayed in my house, the more I realize I have more reliable service than the electric grid right now. When we come back, the utility companies and the off-the-grid folks both think they've found the best way to address climate change. But can they both be right? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. In February, the California Public Utilities Commission was due to vote on some measures that would slash the incentives for homeowners to install rooftop solar. And then they delayed that vote indefinitely, and it's, it's still up in the air. Can you walk me through the debate around that vote? Because you wrote in your piece that both sides of the debate consider themselves proponents of renewable energy. The effort by the California regulators was to say, you know, we have for years subsidized uh, those who have solar on their rooftops. Uh, in the beginning, the idea was to get an industry going. And now we're well over a million rooftops in California that have rooftop solar. The, the question was, well, what is the appropriate amount of co compensation uh, 
that they receive when they send their excess power that their solar generates to the grid? And do, how do they pay their fair share if, uh, if they remain connected to the grid? They're not grid defectors um, because there are all the other services and, uh, and components to the grid um, that if they're connected, shouldn't they pay something? On the other side is the utility scale because everyone agrees that, well, it's going to benefit us in dealing with climate change to decarbonize the grid. And the utilities argue, well, it's cheaper to build a solar farm. A solar panel for a solar farm is cheaper than a solar panel on a rooftop. Um, so if we're going to attack the climate change issue, um, we should build more solar farms, wind farms, and large-scale batteries, because then that benefits larger numbers of people at lower cost. One way of looking at it is that the power companies are basically trying to hold on to customers by lobbying the state to impose fines on people who want to go off-grid. Is that a fair way of viewing it? And it's not even just off-grid, but just those who want to use solar and, and batteries. It's basically, we've got these levers we need to adjust. We need to make sure that we aren't overcompensating um, the rooftop solar owners at this point, because what we do now is give them the equivalent of the retail rate for the electricity that they send to the grid. And the utilities argue that, well, we can get that same uh, electricity on the wholesale market at a fraction of that cost. And so we need to reduce that compensation uh, because that's hurting those who are on the grid. They're basically subsidizing these rooftop solar owners. Whether you're fully off-grid or generating and storing some of your own energy with rooftop panels and batteries but staying connected to the grid, you're still, at this point, to some extent shaping what the cost of electricity will be for everybody else. But I wondered what would happen if everybody went off-grid, each of us our own power station. Would that be energy utopia? Or could shutting down the grid altogether have terrible, unintended consequences? Ivan rejected those kinds of binaries. He thinks there will always be a need for someone to oversee how energy flows. In the short term, you're not going to have everybody off the grid. So there's a role for an evolving role for the utility to play in managing electrons. The evolution of how we power our lives uh, you know, can mean a lot of different things. In Utah, in the Salt Lake City area, there's a new apartment complex with 600 apartments. Every unit has its own battery. There's solar at the apartment complex. They can take the electricity from all of those batteries and harness that and send it to the electric grid um, to provide support for the electric grid, as well as each of those apartments has its own backup battery if the grid goes down. It's just a, a wide range of possibilities for where energy is going, both as for individuals as well as uh, for everyone collectively. It's not so much the elimination of, of any particular one, but the possibilities that it all creates. Ivan Penn, thanks so much for being with us. It was a pleasure. Ivan Penn is the Renewable Energy Correspondent for The New York Times. 
That's it for the show today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks. We're edited by Tori Bosch. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer for Slate Podcasts. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Lizzie will be back next week. I'm Seth Stevenson. Thanks for listening. This is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.